It's like, as the fellow says, deja vu all over again. Is it your first day? Yeah, yeah. I'm asking what people have in their bags. I have grapes and carrot sticks. Grapes and carrot sticks? Yes. It's the first day of the primary school year at Skull Carmel National School. September the 2nd, 2013. A banana. Banana. And brown bread. And brown bread. Oh, that's gorgeous. Skull Carmel is in Furhouse, Dublin. A suburb of mostly three-bedroom semi-Ds near the foothills of the mountains. And what else is in the bag? A calculator. A calculator? Fantastic. And a pencil case with angry birds on it. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> 21 years ago, I was in the same spot, holding a microphone and a tape recorder. Flask. Tell me what's in your flask. Um, seven up and black on the water. I was in the yard of the school with my five-year-old nephew, doing an experiment that became a documentary. My nephew Ulton was about to start school and I wanted to record what it was like inside a junior infant's classroom on the first day from a child's point of view. So Ulton, as well as his bag and lunch and new uniform, he had a small microphone clipped to his jumper for the day. Outside the school gates in 1992, the world was mostly another place to where we are now. The internet for the public hadn't arrived. Very few mobile phones. The killings in the north had reached 3,000. There was the X case, the Beef Tribunal, Eamon Casey resigned as Bishop of Galway, and record unemployment in the country. I still see him as that little boy with red hair coming into school. Inside the school gates, Alton was taking his microphone into a new world. Not unfamiliar to him, because his older brother Oshin had gone to the school and Ulton had seen him into the class every morning. I don't know which room it is. The world sounded cosy. Yeah. His new teacher, Miss Brennan, knew his name. Hello, Ulton. And he knew the headmaster's name. Mr. Caulfield. The idea of the experiment was to listen in on a day that most of us only experience once and we often forget it. When it's our turn to bring someone to school for the first time, the most we can do is stand outside and wonder what's going on inside the classroom. Or even worry, like this woman from the 1992 documentary. It's like passing away your baby. You know what I mean? It's, you bring him home from hospital. It's one stage. And you send him to school. And kind of when you send a child to school, they're gone, they're grown up, they're... You've lost... Um, you know, I'm coming home at 12 o'clock, but you've still lost a baby in them. I mean, our attitude was, go home, mammy. I don't want, you know, I don't want to be mammy here, you know. The last time I saw you, you were only a little fella coming in here. Do you remember coming in here with Oshin? Do you? Where you Oshin sit? Listening to the classroom through the microphone on Alton's jumper. Is that over there by the door? And it sounds all right. But then... You hear in the background that some of his classmates aren't so chilled. This is the same classroom in 2013. It sounds similar, but of course there are differences. A little girl is sitting at a table, it's her first day, and she's playing with an old-fashioned wooden jigsaw but she's being filmed by her mother on an iPad and the mother and daughter are African. 
One reason to come back to the school in 2013 is to find out what's happened to those people in the original documentary. And in finding out about that, you're going to be brought back outside the gates to the Ireland of 2013. And you're also going to be reminded that the first day of school is just one of those life events that have to be negotiated. And the people in the original documentary have now had 20 years worth of life events to handle. Naturally, as he's my nephew, I know some of what happened in Alton's life since the programme. But what about the others? The teacher, Mary Brennan. There's a lot of wildlife in that field there. There's foxes and just across the convent wall there, there's squirrels. The headmaster, John Caulfield. I remember being out at a funeral in Fort House and I met some of the kids and somebody said, he has a Facebook page. <laughs> and what about the most spectacularly unhappy child in Alton's class that first day? Patrick. I can see that scene now. I remember it, yeah. Just inside the door and she was going and I was holding him. Oh, there we go. <laughs> no, darling, you can't go out. Mammy's coming back in a little while. There's my name. Play with something, Patrick. Patrick. You t- <laughs> Mommy and Sarah will be back in a little while. Like. <laughs> I'm just trying to escape out the door. No, darling, no. Watch, watch your fingers. <laughs> Patrick, I don't believe it. Yeah, I don't know, for some reason the door and the ceiling, I can remember them like. The young man's not very good. Yeah, uh, he is. There's Mr. Caulfield saying, I'm poor little fella. <laughs> I remember when you were born, Patrick. The lovely shorts and runners. I do remember he was very upset. And they moved shortly after that to live in Waterford, so I never. That wasn't nothing to do with you? No, I think that was on the cards. The, the moving house was on the cards before Patrick came to Skullcarmel. I was only actually in, in the class for a year. So yeah, and then we moved to Waterford and lived down here ever since. So. Patrick is now 25 years of age with a big mop of curly hair. He's wearing a fleece and a pair of shorts and he's on the beach in Dunmore East in Waterford. So we're going to get you into your kayaks now and show you how to use the paddles and all the gear and then we're going to head out and go explore some caves and rocks and all the coastline. Patrick moved to Waterford because his dad's work brought them there but Patrick has stayed in Waterford because of his dad's hobby, kayaking. We're sitting on the beach in Dunmarice there was the, the QE2 to come in it's one of my first memories of it and I'm sitting on my dad's lap and we're out paddling around the QE2 like a massive cruise ship, you know I was only maybe eight or something like that back then. Since I was a little kid, started kayaking, and then when I was about 16 or 17, started instructing and working, and then eventually just started our own little business. Patrick runs the business with his dad. Pureadventure.ie They teach kayaking, and they bring people on kayak tours along the Waterford coast. Pretty much living the dream, you know. (laughs) Cool, so once we're out there, um, if we can all stick together... 
Uh, you all remember the magic word swimmer, so if someone falls in, remember to shout swimmer and point in their direction so you let the instructors know. Other than that, just enjoy yourselves. Remember, just sit up nice and straight and take it nice and easy and we'll all have a, have a good day. Can you make a living doing something like this? Uh, yeah, you can to an extent, you know. As I say to most people, I'm never going to be a millionaire. Don't particularly want a mortgage or anything like that. We do get really quiet in the winter time. I'm at the sort of stage in my life where I, I love living in Ireland. There's so much to do here. But I also want to travel, so it works perfectly that I can work and live in Ireland for nine months of the year and then leave and uh, go travelling. So, like, either go somewhere where there's snow and go snowboarding or up into the mountains or go somewhere where it's sunny like New Zealand and go whitewater kayaking or sea kayaking over there. And so I still get to do everything I like, but just somewhere else and see new places so and um, why are you not jaded with kayaking since you've been doing it since you were a small child oh, I don't know I just think it's it's constantly just meeting new people and introducing new people to it and I suppose you know we do do a lot of skills courses where we teach people and you get to watch someone progress but then we also do a lot of taking people out and just on trips so three hour sessions real you know nice and showing them around our area yeah, and you just get to have a chat with everyone and meet new people. And I think I just like... I always, I always thought in my head I'd be a barman because I just liked chatting to people on the... You know, thinking you stand behind a bar, pull a few pints and have a chat with someone. But I think it's better now because I get to be outdoors teaching kayak and just have a chat with someone as we go along. So, yeah. Are you well, married? Do you have kids? Oh, married and kids. Not a chance. No, I've got a girlfriend who actually lives in New Zealand. Um, so it's an excuse to go to New Zealand and go travel and do things over there. A hard way to keep a relationship going, though. Well, I find it great. Like, I have a few friends and people that have done long-distance relationships, Dublin to Waterford and things like that, you know, and they're up and down every weekend and they're spending, you know, this much on petrol or getting the bus or getting the train, whereas I don't have to see her for a few months, so we get to save money and then, like, fly over there and just, you know, all that money you've saved on not having to travel around to go see each other, you get to just go do whatever you want for a little while. Um, but it's okay, she's moving to Ireland next year, so we're fine, we're all good. It's becoming a bit more serious, I suppose. <laughs> How are you, Patrick? Are you well, love? He's a great boy. Isn't that great? He was a little bit sad in the morning, but you he's happy now. Is he your friend now? He is, he's my best friend. And he's making a big sausage with his Marla. They, they've settled me down. Happy making, Patrick. I made a boy. A carrot, Mr. Caulfield. Good girl, good girl. He's happy enough now. The mother wouldn't take any nonsense. She just said, "I'm going now." So he'll be fine in a few minutes. So she was right. We advise the parents to leave the room as soon as possible, as soon as it's comfortable for the child. But they may stay on as long as they like. Now, even up to. 10 minutes before the school breaks up, they can stay on. But I wanted to make the break the first day. John Caulfield, the principal of Skull Carmel at the time, was a benign presence. And if he had a point to make, he had an anecdote to go with it. So one year we had uh, one child in the class and the dad was with them. And uh, after about an hour, I said to the dad, look, you better go. So we got him out. The child was hysterical. The dad wasn't out for the door five minutes. Everything was grand and calm and the little fella turned around and started to play with the children beside him. I went up to the teacher and said, you know, there you are now. That was just, he didn't want to make the break and the child started to holler. So 
So we looked down, and here was Daddy at the window, looking in at the child, waving into him, and starting the whole procedure again. Who was it? Yeah. Somebody was looking for you. Maybe it was Alton. Yeah, I think Alton said he knew you. Would you like to sit beside Alton? I'm liking the sheep. Hey, Alton, we'll go head off now. Okay, bye. And we'll see you at 12, all right? Have you got your lunchbox? Yeah. Mary Brennan in 1992, and she's still teaching, and she's still in Skull Carmel. There's a lot of wildlife in that field there. There's foxes, uh, herons come there, and just across the convent wall there, there are squirrels. And when the children go in after lunchtime, if you watch from those high-up classrooms, you'll see the squirrels coming down and they run around here. I was working as a classroom teacher at the time Alton started in junior infants and I continued to teach in the classroom for a number of years after that until I had an opportunity of joining the resource team and my duties were for the traveller children in the school. I was the RTT, the resource teacher for travellers. When the traveller enrolment to Skull Carmel dropped, Mary Brennan moved to teaching children with special requirements. She has a small room in a prefab as well as working in the classes and she teaches English to international students, maths and literacy to those having difficulties and special needs pupils. 20 years ago, a child with special needs would have had to get on a bus and travel a distance to another school. So those children have enriched the school enormously, as have the international children. The kinds of children who come to the school has changed in 20 years. And so also has the way we think about keeping them safe. You can't walk into the school off the street now. You have to buzz and you have to be let into the school building. There's also cameras on all the doors around the school and on all the yards and on the car park at the front. So there's a huge amount of security in the building now. And have children changed in the way that they deal with you or in their interests? I think children are still fascinated by some of the simple things. Like we go on a school tour in the last term and there's one particular place that we went before the summer and it was a farm and it was a walk all around 
there was no gimmicks. There was just fields and animals and a lake. And then part of the activity was to go into the long grass and find frogs. And that this, the shrieks and the laughter and the excitement of all of that was amazing. <laughs> Just out that door and turn right down the steps. Although Fur House is a Dublin suburb sitting on the M50, if you're in the PE hall of the National School where the junior infants are being registered, you could be in a large village. Hello. 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 How are you? Mary Brennan recognises many of the children. She's taught their siblings and their parents. Do you have a big brother, Jack? Hi. I knew your mammy. <laughs> there you go. See you later. Hello, Katie. Hi, Katie. And Mary's memory is long. When she puts on headphones and listens to the 1992 documentary, she remembers those pupils too. Kim, one of the twins. Kim, what do we do with you? Yeah. Kim and Carl. Maybe he doesn't want his mammy to go. Isn't that sweet? Before we say, before we have our lunch, Gronia, are you at your place, love? Good girl, leave the sand now. You can play with it again tomorrow. Before we have our lunch, we're going to say a little prayer. So join your hands. Bless us, O God. As we sit together. Bless the food we eat today. Bless the hands that make the food. Bless us, O God. Amen. So if you have something to eat, and if you have something to drink, take it out now and have it. Yes, dear? That would be very nice. You can, love you. This is the lovely sandwich on the floor. Um, pick it up, Alan. Good boy. Me, not me. Yeah, but just pick it up for me, please. Well, we'll tell her that she made a mistake when she comes out. All right. I think Patrick and I are going to be the best of friends. This is my feeling. He was a nice fellow, wasn't he? Yeah, but there's two kids in the class, but I wouldn't be too sure which one it was. This is Alton. Little red-haired Alton is now a big red-haired 25 years of age. He's in Australia, in Perth. Do you remember much of the first day? Nothing at all, really. How did you do this? I don't remember walking to school. I don't remember you being there, interviewing me and stuff and running along. There's not a lot of junior infants I remember at all. When Alton left school Carmel, he went to the local primary and secondary schools in Furhouse and then on to studying mechanical engineering in Trinity. It was a pretty broad course. It's maths based and if I didn't decide to do engineering, it's pretty easy to move on to a different career after that. It's not too difficult. Most people see it as a pretty 
decent degree to have. And why did you specialize in mechanical? Some of it was because it was more interesting. Some of it was due to the economy at the time and construction being down. Because the only other one I would have done would have been civil. But at the time, when we were making the decision to pick our main course, the economy was pretty poor, especially in construction. Was there something? Was there anything you did in engineering that you just really enjoyed? Was there any project you did or anything you did you thought, oh, this is great, I'm really liking it? Not particularly, no. By the end of it, I just got pretty fed up with most of the college and decide, I was deciding that I wasn't going to do it as a career, but it uh, turns out I am. And did you think that was a wasted period in, time, in college? I don't think it was wasted, but in hindsight, I probably, if I could choose again, knowing what I know now, I would have done a different course, or I wouldn't have spent straight into college, and I would have got a bit more life experience. Really? Yeah, just mature a bit more, figure out, have a better idea what I wanted to do, like figure it out better after school because when you're in schools everything's just pushed on you and you just make a decision because you have to so when you got out of trinity what then what did you do then nothing for about four or five months and then that the following november went out to australia on a working holiday visa and i've been out here ever since in perth alton has found work with an engineering firm although he's in australia he's also still in the dublin suburb of furhouse in a way I flew out with uh, one of my friends, and there was two out here already. And since we've come over, I think uh, about five or six more have flown, have been over and have come and gone. And where are they from? Where are those, those other people from? What part of the country? All the lads I flew out with are all from Furhouse as well. And would have, I think most of them would have went to Skull Carmel. Walton says that the weather and the money are good in Australia. Outside work, he mostly knocks around with other Irish people. It's easier to get on. But definitely a different sense of crack and banter. It's just a different brand of humour. While Alton is working in engineering, it's yet to excite his passion and he's wondering about a move into finance or teaching. Like many people in their mid-twenties, he's not quite settled and he's looking around at others who are. I'm working with a lad who was in school Carmel in my class and then we did engineering together. And now we're in the same company over here. He has no idea what he wants to do anyway. He has a plan of some sort. And he's in a relationship with Alan, and he's pretty happy with his career. And are you in a relationship? Me, no. Not a minute. So that would make a difference, would it? That would have a huge influence, I would say, depending where she was from, where she wants to go. Yeah. Like, there's nothing keeping me here. There's nothing that's going to make me go back to Ireland, per se. It's just me deciding what I want to do, and I don't know what that is. And does that bother you, that you don't have a plan? To an extent, to an extent, no. So I, I don't really need a plan. I don't think too much, but it would just be I would would prefer to have a clear idea. I still don't know what I don't want to do, which is one thing that I'd like to try figure out and get sorted quicker. But the thing is, I could go back to Ireland, get into whatever it is, accounting or something like that, and not think that's what I want to do, and then regret going back. So I should make sure that if I do make the decision, that yeah, I'm happy with it. Big 
here he is, Mr. Khan. He is my heart broken, and he'll break your heart. And you, you just kind of... No, I would never prejudge a child on the strength of the parents' opinion, but the child is a model child. He's lovely, sweet-tempered, obliging. He res- can bring a roll book around, you know, everything like that, take a message. And the mother said, you meet the mother after, and that's a lovely child sent it to me. I think you're on a cotton me. Oh, you should see him at home. <laughs> Uh, you were asking me earlier on about the little ones. I like the way I refer to them as little ones. We know the shy ones, the strong-minded ones, the ones that have been a bit pampered by the mums and all that. They're, it's a great feeling at the end of a year, particularly with the junior infants, when you have a lot of them coming in to see that, you know, you're, you can see them begin to unfold, just like flower seeds growing in the garden. Yeah, like flower seeds growing into plants. At the time, in 1992, John Caulfield had been teaching for almost 40 years and he was coming close to retirement. I remember the first day I retired. I was in America, in my son's house. And I said, God, Kevin is in the thick of it now. He took over after me. And I, I was in ways missed not being there for because it was great excitement the first day with the new ones. So we stayed in America there for three weeks at that time. And we went out three more times that year. John was in fibre optics and he did well in it and he sent us the ticket, so who are we to refuse? <laughs> but he and I went out together. Three times a year then for a long, long time. And then I went out a few times on my own because he had a, a lot of grounds with his house and I went to give him a hand with his gardens and that because it was a bit overgrown. So um, You're a labourer. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Mind you, if I was to start all over again, I would, I would give a hard look at uh, something like um, garden, business gardening. Or, I, I like it. John and his wife, Betty, busied themselves in their neighbourhood. She on the golf course and he with church work. They had their garden and their children and their grandchildren. For the first few years, it was great. It was wonderful. And then she had a kidney removed nine years ago. And uh, we kind of felt, but we didn't believe that it was going to be downhill. Mind you, she, did, she had six good years then. And uh, we came back from America one time and uh, she had a little bit of a cough. And she decided to have it investigated and she found out she had stage four cancer. And that was three years ago. I had a friend whose husband died in London. She said to me after Betty was diagnosed, so she says, now these are very precious times. Use them to the best of your ability. And we did. And they were precious. I gave up everything. I was involved a bit in the parish and visiting old people, bringing communions in the mornings. I dropped everything and stayed with Beth for that length of time, for three years. I got a mass, 10 o'clock mass. Betty slept in that room there. We would have breakfast before mass. I'd come in and bring her any bit of news that was going on in the parish. She would sleep then until maybe half 11 or 12 o'clock. She'd wake up and she'd say, where are we going today? 
And every day, as long as she was able, we went to one of the shopping malls. Dundrum was our favourite, really. Uh, Tala, Niffy Valley. And we hardly ever missed a day in Marley Park. Marley was her lifesaver. She was a great walker. It didn't uh, rule our lives, the fact that Betty was going to die. No. Oh, we lived from day to day and brought a communion every morning as long as she was able. And uh, No, she was, she was an, an angel to mind. Never a cross. And I tell you, I put up some meals here that <laughs> I just shudder now when I think about it. <laughs> Oh, the poor woman. Oh, you're not a good cook, are you not? I can be all right, but <laughs> what I liked, she didn't like. Well, my my, <laughs> I would be a mayo man to the core. My would be potatoes, cabbage, bacon, ham, turnips. But Betty, proper dinner. Yes, a proper dinner. Yes, <laughs> that she put a knife and fork. <laughs> How would she like to eat? Pastas. That kind of stuff, which I hate. She died on the 18th of April. At ten to three. We've just been letting the kids out from school. <laughs> and, uh, and she just faded out. There was no death rattle or anything like that. It was just... She stopped breathing, really. It's so final. So absolutely final. The garden became overgrown during Betty's illness. Those are petunias. <laughs> and there's a tomato plant. I don't know where they came from. Now, working on it is one of the things John is doing to bring a bit of structure yeah. to his life since his wife's death. When all those bushes will be cut back more, it'll be all, all the perimeter will be lower. That tree would be gone and wouldn't be allowed to go up there. Funnily enough, there are about six of us here who have lost our wives in, I'd say, certainly in six months. Really? Yeah. When yeah. you say here, what do you mean? In, in, they've got a mass there in, in Ballyroan. So the six men who've been widowed yeah. in the last... Yeah, yeah. Sure, Betty's funeral was kind of straddled between John Callan's wife's death and uh, Mick O'Hara's wife. Betty died in the weekend in between. It was... Uh, so we're, we're getting together now, like us widows, and, yeah. you know, we the just... Magnificent Seven. Yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, and... Uh, it just occurred to, to Noel the other day, he says, you know, we shouldn't be we shouldn't be grieving on our own when, you know, people... Because you just don't understand it. You just don't understand it. What's the hardest thing for people to understand? I don't know. Ruthlessness is just like if there's something torn off you. It just hardens yourself. Ever again. <laughs> That's the way. And his old age, 
Is old age and retirement horrible? Do you hate it? Oh, God, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, retirement was great. I go to the school. Now, since Betty got sick, I haven't been out as often as I should have been or used to be. But I go out there nearly every month in the beginning just to see what was happening. And I go out now and I say, why the hell didn't I think of that? Uh, Ursula's doing a brilliant job out there. John is a widower only a few months. So 20 years after retiring, he has another big life change. He has to start living again as a single man. We did a a pre-retirement course and there are two things I remember from it. We were told, get up at a particular time in the morning, wash, shave. Don't go around in a dressing gown or wash and shave. And the other one was... Don't eat at the draining board because you'll tend to wind up eating bread. So you can see I have kind of table half set for, for lunch today now. So I sit there. It's very lonely, but I eat there at the table every day. I, I want to kind of put something into it. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to start visiting old people around, old friends that... I used to bring communion to, and the few of them that are left, I'd start to visit them again. That'll take up a bit of the day. 2013 is not all bad. There are some highlights. John is from Mayo, and Mayo made it into the senior football final, although one of his Mayo grandchildren had a bit of an off-hand attitude to the semi-final. He wanted to bring a book. (laughs) (laughs) And he came home and he told me the phone last night, I'm converted. <laughs> he says, yes. Yep. I'm very, very happy. Do you know why? Because everybody here is very happy. All of you are very happy. I don't see anyone crying. I see some lovely smiling faces. And do you still enjoy teaching? Or do you enjoy teaching? I enjoy it very much. Yeah. I can't imagine doing anything else. You're in big school now, aren't you? You're in real school. And you'll be going home in a little while. And if you're still very good when it's time to go home, there might be a little surprise. There might be a little treat. So do you have any regrets at all? Regrets? No, not really. Um, no, everything's sort of fallen into place pretty well, so happy out. Really and truly, you know, there are times you get stressed out and people drive you mad, but it is a great, a lovely, lovely job. And, you know, to, to have those little ones trusting you and looking up to you and your God to them and makes you feel good, mind you. You know, Mr. Coffee said... And what Mr. Coffey said is totally gospel. And they're, they're so trusting. <laughs> I remember being out at a funeral for a house and I met some of the kids. They'd be maybe in their 20s. And somebody said, he has a Facebook page. <laughs> and <laughs> all the thought was, the thought was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know what did you think listening back to the programme? Yeah, I thought it was interesting to have it in your life. 
fascinating. My mum's going to get a baby in a few weeks' time. I could be both of my brothers up. I could be both of my brothers up at one time. Bam! 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 I can beat them to bits. Will I tell you all my parents' name? Kevin, Paul, and Derek. Where's your bag? Where's your bag? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.